0: 1 Samuel 3 is where we find ourselves this morning. And to begin, I want to start by just kind of uh, talking a little bit bit about our our family dynamic uh, that's happening in this season. One thing that's been really fun for us as a family with young kids is getting to see how our one, almost one and a half year old Adia, is really developing in her communication and in her speaking. Just Maybe over the past few weeks, just so many new words that our cute little baby girl is beginning to say things like, "kaka" is cracker. And so she'll come around, in case you need a translator, right? She'll come around, like there's this drawer we have in our kitchen that kind of has all the plastic bowls that she usually has snacks out of, and she'll grab one by herself, take the bowl and bring it to me and go, "kaka, kaka." And so she's wanting, obviously, she's able to communicate. Or she's able to say things like, book, with like a really strong K at the end, like book. But our favorite, but like not so favorite, is the other night my beautiful wife Shai was holding Adia kind of in her arms like this, and is looking up at Shai's face, and Adia has this kind of mischievous little smile on and kind of waving her finger going, oh, no, 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 no. And <laughs> like, oh, she knows the no word. And so it, it, so it begins. And the reason I mention this is that it's just, again, on one level, it's just really fun. To just see the language and the communication develop. But really on a, on a deeper level, really any relationship needs communication. and needs a level of nonverbal and verbal communication. And the same, I think, applies with our relationship with God. And that I think most of us kind of get this on a, at a basic level. That we have a, a relationship or we're invited to be in a relationship with a God who wants to communicate with us. And the more that we develop that communication, the deeper and stronger that relationship gets. But I think for for many of us, on one level, it's at least for me, let me speak for myself, is that I think on an intellectual level, on like I know the answer to the theology question, I get the idea that God speaks and that God communicates. But on like the experiential everyday life level of really living into that reality of communication and speaking and hearing, that's something that I struggle with. To really know in like that deep experiential sort of way. You know, a a brilliant, awesome book that I read recently, Hearing God in Conversation, the author Samuel Williamson said this. We are redeemed in order to have a restored relationship with God. And the basis for every relationship is communication. Now it seems pretty simple, right? We are redeemed in order to have a restored relationship with God. And the basis for every relationship is communication. And I think, again, a lot of us get that, yes, we are meant to have a relationship with our creator. We are meant to have a relationship with our God. But what can be more difficult to understand, especially on that experiential, everyday life level, is the reality that this God wants to communicate with us. that wants to talk with us, dialogue with us, as something that is normal and regular. And as we look at our story today in 1 Samuel 3, this is what we're going to be talking about. The idea, not just the idea like with words on a page, but the experience itself that God speaks to his people. So with that in the back of our heads, let's dive into the text. First Samuel 3, starting in verse 1. The text says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time... Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Verse 3, the, lamp of, the God, lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel and said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, lie down again. So he, that's being Samuel, went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Go lie down again. Now, verse 7, Samuel did not know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, a lot to unpack, there. we'll kind of take our time through this a little bit. But to start, one of the hardest things for me when reading, especially Old Testament narrative... One of the hardest things for me to keep track of is just simply who's who character-wise in the story, right? How many of you all have that problem reading the Old Testament, right? And so maybe just to kind of lay the land a little bit here. Let's just kind of do a who's who character, like lay the land, so to speak. Verse 1, we're introduced or reintroduced, I should say, to Samuel. Now Samuel, if you remember, his mother's name was Hannah. And Hannah we are introduced to all the way back in chapter 1, well just two chapters ago. was We're introduced to Hannah back in chapter 1, and Hannah was this faithful and is this faithful woman of God who was crying out to the Lord to, for God to give Hannah the gift of having a child. And Hannah was fervently praying and seeking the face of God, pouring her soul, the language the Bible said, out before the Lord. And Yahweh, God, heard Hannah's request and gave Hannah the gift of a son. And Hannah named that son Samuel. And Samuel, that name, by the way, means God hears or God listens. And what's interesting is that by the end of this story here in chapter 3, Samuel is going to be the one that hears God or listens to God. Now, in verse 2, the second character to mention is Eli. We're reintroduced to Eli, and Eli, for the most part, is essentially kind of like the de facto leader of Israel at this time. He's one of the priests, the main priest. And Eli, I would say, is a shady character at best so far in the story. And we're given this detail in verse 2. I don't know if you picked up on this, but the detail is this, that his eyesight was growing dim, or he was beginning to lose his eyesight. Now, I think this is important because on one level, sure, this is, I think, describing, you know, what's happening to Eli in his old age. He's losing his physical eyesight. Yet, on a deeper level, something else is happening at the same time. He's losing his, quote unquote, perhaps spiritual sight. He's kind of gone his own way. Think about it so far, what we know of Eli so far in the story. In chapter 1, he was unable to see or perceive that Hannah crying out to God was not, you know, her being drunk, but was actually Hannah being faithful. Eli was not able to see what was really going on in Hannah's life. And on a second level, Eli was unable or has been unable to see the wickedness of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and just the corruption that is happening within the leadership of Israel who Eli, yes, being a leader, is unable to actually see what's going on. He's losing his eyesight physically for sure, but I think, again, the author is tapping into something deeper as well. He's unable to see what's really happening spiritually, what's happening in the lives of people that he is meant to care for and lead and shepherd. Now, a couple other details that are worth mentioning here in this opening paragraph. If you notice in verse 2 and 3-ish that we were given this detail about the lamp of God, and how the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And when you kind of come across details like this, it's often helpful to just ask that question, why am I being told this, right? Like, why did the narrator or the author of this story tell me this and not something else that maybe you would find more interesting? And I think the reason is something along these lines. The lamp of God, if you go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 21, was something, the lamp of God, being something that was meant to be lit continually within the middle of the tabernacle. And it was meant to be this representation that of God being light, and that God's life and light and presence was to be shining continually within the house of God. But we're told this detail, though, that the lamp of God had, quote, not yet gone out. The implication being that the lamp of God was about to go out, that in this moment where Israel's leadership is being corrupt and they're going their own way and we're in the time of the judges where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, it's almost as if the light is diminishing and the darkness is beginning to grow. And that we're in this kind of crux point, this fork in the road, so to speak, where the light is diminishing and the darkness is increasing and how will God's people respond and what will God do in a moment like this? Now, last couple details from those first opening sentences. Notice the positioning, or maybe the posture, it might be a better word here, the posture or positioning of both Eli and Samuel. Eli, we're told, was lying down where? In his own place. Where's Samuel lying down? In the temple, in the presence of the Lord. I think there's something going on there. It's that where is Eli positioning himself? He's in his own place. Like he's kind of doing his own thing, right? And Samuel, on the other hand, he's positioned himself, quote, in the temple or in the presence of the Lord. Almost as if it's like a precursor as to what's going to happen. Because Samuel is going to be the one who hears and discerns God's voice. It's almost as if the text is saying that in order for someone to hear and know and experience the voice of God, it's about positioning themselves in the presence of God. And that becomes the precursor to hearing and knowing the voice of God. And so into this moment, all of that to say, the basic point is this. God is speaking. God is speaking to his people. And yes, Samuel's going to have to grow in learning what that means and what that looks like. But the reality is God speaks. And this is what our God does, and this is what our God is always doing. Think all the way back to the very first story in our Bibles. God creates, Genesis 1, but how does God create? By speaking. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. With his spoken word, God brings life and light into a moment of darkness. Because Genesis 1 starts with the detail that darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then the text says, God said, let there be light. And just like here in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 3, when the light is being diminished and darkness is increasing, God is speaking words of light and life into this moment. And I can't help but wonder the same for us today. In these moments where we might feel like the darkness is increasing and the light is decreasing, our God who has spoken from Genesis 1 to 1 Samuel 3 to the Gospels and to us today is speaking words of light in life in these crux, crucial moments. Where we, where we'll, where we'll, will we give into the darkness or will we give into and say yes to the light and life of God's word? Now, let's continue with the story here. Verse 7 again, the text says this. Now, Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, I want to pause here and just mention something really important with with verse 7. The text says that Samuel, quote, did not know the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Because think about this. If you're Samuel, and you're, like I mentioned earlier, Samuel's mom was who? Hannah, right? And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're given this portrait of Hannah as someone who knows God like on a personal deep level, crying out, pouring her soul out to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And we're also told in those opening chapters that Hannah, Samuel's mom, dedicates Samuel to the Lord. And it's not as if Samuel, I don't think, grew up in a home that like, was never told the story of creation, that was never told the story of God's work in the Exodus. Samuel, it seems like, when we know from chapters 1 and 2, grew up in like a... ...new the stories, more than likely. Samuel was raised by a godly mom who feared the Lord and who pours out her soul before the Lord. So how come then... In a text like this, do we get this detail that Samuel, quote, did not know the Lord? And I think looking at this a little bit deeper can be helpful. Because in the Jewish mindset, the idea of like knowing something is not simply just being able to answer the question on like the theology test. It's not just simply knowing the facts or the ideas behind what, you know, is going on. The idea of knowing In the Jewish mindset is about experience, is about engagement, is about making it a reality within oneself. And so when the text says, 1 Samuel 3, verse 7, that Samuel did not know the Lord, it's not talking about necessarily that Samuel, you know, was never told these Bible stories growing up or was not raised by godly parents. But it's talking about this reality that Samuel had not yet fully experienced in a deep, personal way the goodness and light in life and in particular the speaking voice of god in his life now let's keep going though because it's really interesting verse 8 and the lord called to samuel again a quote third time now i'll say more about this idea of a third time in a moment but keep going here and he samuel arose and went to eli and said here i am for you called me then eli perceived that the lord was calling the boy Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls to you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling out as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears, or your servant is listening. Then, verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, now this is, this is, pay attention to this, because this is God speaking to Samuel, and Samuel's for the first time, is really getting that it's God speaking. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to them, that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. Now again, there's a lot to unpack there in that paragraph, but three things I want to point out. First, notice that it took a few tries, if you will, for Samuel to discern that God was speaking. Remember that detail in verse 7 and 8? It was the third time. And I think this is important because Samuel, who will grow to become one of the greatest prophets and leaders in Israel's history, yes, understood and heard God's voice, but it took a, a process. It took some development there. It wasn't right away that Samuel, oh yes, I know God is speaking. I have had it figured out. No, there was a development. There was a, a process of discerning is this God really speaking in my life? And again, I think this should give us great comfort that for us here in this room that we are all sort of on this journey we actually not sort of we are on this journey of discerning and learning what is God saying? What does it mean for God to speak to us? what does that feel like, look like, sound like in our lives? It wasn't until the third try that Samuel was able to pick up on this. But it, as part of that process, though, notice how Samuel did not discern it was God speaking in isolation. Samuel did not understand, God is speaking to me just all by himself, like in his you know, comfy chair by himself, right? It was through the relationship of another, yes, Eli, who again, as I mentioned, is a shady character at best, but still the truth stands, that it was in the context of relationship and community that Samuel grew in developing his ability to hear God's voice. And I can't help but wonder if that's the same for us. Because my hunch is I think it is. That our ability to discern and to hear and to know God's voice, yes, for sure, God speaks to us personally, individually, I believe that. But the ability to discern that God is speaking often comes, more often than not, in community in relationship from people that perhaps are older wiser have been down the journey before that can help us understand what god is saying how god is saying it and what that might be like but third thing i want to point out is that notice when samuel first this is like samuel's first rodeo in like okay hearing god's voice and notice that when samuel is is being spoken to by god samuel doesn't come you know back going oh, I have a great peace about, you know, what God is saying to me, right? Imagine being Samuel in this moment, and your first experience of clearly hearing the voice of God is your word of judgment against your mentor and friend Eli. How are you feeling? Like, God, I thought you were supposed to speak things like, I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope and a future. I thought that's what it meant to hear God's voice. Not all the time. I think the text is pointing to the reality that sometimes when God speaks, it might not always be the most, like, comfy, cozy, fluffy sort of message that we might always hope for. And that's part of understanding and knowing that this is God speaking and not my own wants and desires. Again, there's a lot more we could say there, but let's kind of see how the story develops. Verse 15. And Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I mean, wouldn't you be too? Right? Like, you know, because Eli's been like, you know, God's speaking to you. Go, go back and say these things and go back and have that posture of say, here I am. I'm, I'm listening. And here comes Eli. Like, okay, what did God say? And imagine being Samuel in that moment. uh, you're done? <laughs> like, I don't know. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel, verse 18, told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is Eli speaking at the end of verse 18. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's kind of like one of those moments where like you're really nervous and like, all the anxiety and the stress is building, like, ah, God's about to do this thing, and then you do it, and then, like, it's kind of like this lackluster ending in verse 18. Oh, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Okay. Eli kind of took it like a champ, I guess. But part of it, though, is that if you go back to chapter 2 a little bit, Eli was already kind of prepared for this this sort of message. He already kind of knew it was coming. But the point, I think, still stands. Again, Samuel is not just, like, Oh my goodness, God spoke to me. This feels amazing. I have this amazing peace about it. You know, there's no anxiety, no stress at all. Samuel couldn't sleep after God spoke to him. And there's a level two, multiple times throughout the scriptures when God speaks to his people, it's often accompanied with the words, do not fear. Right? And so just be kind of cognizant of that as we're talking about God speaking. That it's not always gonna be, oh, I feel so much better now. Sometimes there's a level we have to wrestle with and process and work through, and it might not always be comfortable right away. But I think that's also intentional. Because it's through those moments, formation and development and maturity happen. That Samuel's growing in a moment like this, that God is raising him up from all the way back in verse one, he's described as a boy. And at the, by the end of this chapter, he's going to be described as the prophet. And part of that transformation is going through these uncomfortable moments of not really being 100% sure how is this message going to land? How is this word going to land? What will be the effects, the results, the consequences of what God is doing? And so wrestling with that, being okay with some of those uncomfortable moments, is actually some of the profound ways that God transforms and builds us in seasons like that. The text goes on, though. In Samuel, verse 19, grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. I love that, that language. It's, it's used a f- decent amount of times in the Hebrew Bible, this language of the words not falling to the ground. And I always get this picture of, like, you know, it's you know, a football season or the playoff season right now of, like, not fumbling, right? Like, it just the words don't fall to the ground. They, they, and they go to their intended destination. They have their intended effect. And that this picture here of Samuel's words not falling to the ground is this picture of what, what God is saying is now aligned with what is coming out of Samuel's mouth. And that Samuel and God are, are so in sync that as Samuel speaks, it's as if God is speaking right there. That Samuel's words do not fall to the ground. Verse 20, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, Knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. This is the first time since all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy that someone's described, a a man is described as a prophet. Moses was the last one to be described as a prophet. And here Samuel in chapter 3 is described as a prophet. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, that's the story, that's the text. Now, it's one of those stories as we kind of think about how might this land for us today in our everyday life, at least probably 3,000 years later. How does a story like this land for us? I mean, if there ever was a story that should be locked up in the past, God spoke to people like that way back then, right? That's how God worked with those people in the Old Testament. That's how God worked in, you know, Bible times, as my kids say, right? God doesn't do that today, does he? God doesn't speak like this today to his people now. I mean, we have, we have the Bible now, right? Well, aren't, we, aren't we good? You're looking at me funny, right? Where's he going with this? But my, my gentle push to that would be, no, God speaks. That the stories that we read about of God speaking in 1 Samuel 3 and Genesis 1 and all these stories that, you know, you can list dozens of them. That these stories are not meant to be locked away in the past, but stories that are to give us encouragement and instruction and a model for what God is up to even today. That God is a speaking God and that we are invited to be his people that hear and listen to God's voice in our lives, personally and collectively, even today. But for maybe for many of you, this idea, this concept of God speaks and that we can hear the voice of God Maybe that sounds kind of strange or off-putting or maybe even just something that's prone to abuse. Because I don't know about you, but we've all been around people, at least I have, that have used the God told me card. And that usually doesn't go well, right? And we've maybe been in situations where we thought God said something and we tried our best to listen and it didn't turn out. But God, I thought you said X. You know, this is, this is a, a huge part of my story, our story as a family. You know, almost six years ago when we moved down here to the peninsula, we believed, I believed that God had spoken and God said, move down here, start a church, plant a church, you're going to be a church planter. And so we came down here, we listened as best we could, we started a church in Seaside, we, we led that for about a year and a half. And a year and a half into that, we had to close it down. But God, I thought you said. God, I thought you, you spoke, and I, I was doing my best to listen. This was before Wellspring. This was before we knew any of this, which is amazing. But maybe you've had an experience like that. We're hearing God's voice, and this, even this concept of listening to God's voice, that's, that's scary at best and maybe prone to abuse at worst. You know, a huge part of me still struggles with this. Like, how do I know it's really God? Because I've gotten it wrong multiple times. For sure, I appreciate that. For sure. Yeah, and, and and I I believe you're you're right. And when I say like I got it wrong, at least it feels like that in the moment, right? It feels like I completely, you know, if, you know you're you playing darts. You want to hit that target. And you're, that's the goal. Like we all have that heart, that desire to want to get it right, so to speak. And sometimes that might even be the wrong way to do it because we're putting so much pressure on ourselves. But still that feeling of that uncertainty of, oh, I don't know if this is really God. There's a huge part of me that, again, still struggles with that. And there's another huge part of me that wishes that hearing God's voice was like, This is going to be really silly, but just bear with me. You know those movies, the scenes where there's, like, diplomats and politicians at the United Nations? And they all have, like, these big headphone sets. And they're able to, like, just talk fluently with each other in different languages. And it's just seamless and, like, perfect. There's a huge part of me that wishes hearing God's voice was, like, just give me the headphone set. So I could know, like, this is God speaking. Right? But my hunch is... That God has intentionally not given us that, you know, magical headphone set on purpose. Because think about it. Those diplomats and politicians at the UN with those headphone sets, it's just information exchange. There's no relationship there. And our God is into way more than just simple information exchange. And that process of wrestling and struggling and growing with is this God? How do I know it's God? All that in between, that murkiness is developing and helping us grow in something even probably even more important, if I dare say so. The relationship with God. The 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 dependency, the love, the, the cling, the desperation that we are to have for him, as opposed to, oh God, I'm just gonna come to you like a you know a telephone machine and just I'll call you when I need you, sort of a thing. And my 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 point, I guess, is that as much as I wish that there was the UN sort of thing, and as much as I still struggle with, okay, God, is this really you? I think as we kind of land this a little bit, I want to just talk about how can we make this practical? How can we move in a direction of growing as people that hear and know God's voice that is something that is normal and that is regular? So to kind of frame this, I want to frame this as we end with just four quick Ps, like things that start with the letter P. Right, this is kind of how I, I roll with this stuff. So the first P though, is kind of like this idea of like pitfalls, things to like be kind of careful for as we kind of talk about in in practice, I guess, discerning God's voice. And the first P is, is just simply this, this idea of like seeking peace about it. I kind of already alluded to this with the Samuel story a little bit, that not all the time. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a peace about what, what what you think God is saying to you, but just as a little cautionary thing i guess not every single time that god speaks will we have like a quote-unquote peace about it sometimes we use that christianese language which again it's not all wrong but just look at our story in first samuel 3 did samuel have a quote peace about it probably not maybe eventually he did but at least in that moment he's not able to sleep and my definition of having a peace about it is at least getting some sleep at night right that's the first pitfall second pitfall is seeking certainty about it, Because sometimes I think we, we want to have, like, I want to be 110% certain that this is God. Like, I have to know that this is God, and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take any risk or take any step without 100% certainty that this is, in fact, God. And I guess my gentle push to that would be there's this beautiful story, I think it's around Acts 15, where the apostles and the early church leaders, they're trying to discern whether to go on kind of their next missionary journey, And there's that small little line that it says, the apostles say, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. After a time of prayer and fasting and discerning, they have this humility. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. Not this dogmatic, God said it, we're off. Right? That's pulling that God told me card. We never want to be around. You never want to be a part of that. But this kind of humble confidence, this humble, like, I believe God is leading I, 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 it seems as if God is leading in this direction, that's a good place to be. It's a place that is still open for correction and course change. Still open for maybe God to say something new or different along the way. So again, a pitfall. Seeking certainty about it. Another one, though, is, is seeking, I guess, let me, let me just phrase it like this. Another pitfall would be Assuming that when God is silent, God isn't speaking. Assuming that when God is silent, God isn't speaking. Because especially in moments of heartache and pain and trials, we might be crying out to God, God, speak. God, would you say something? But think about those moments of suffering and pain in your life. Do you want someone, even someone you love, to come immediately up to you and say, Hey, brother or sister, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What you need in that moment is not necessarily a spoken word. What you need is presence. What you need is someone to sit with you and cry with you, to be present with you. And sometimes I think we mistake that God is not speaking because God is silent, but God is actually even more present with us, with his tears right next to us. And sometimes we don't necessarily need like a quote-unquote spoken word, What we need is to know deep within our bones that God is present right there with us. That he weeps with us in our pain. And that sometimes God doesn't necessarily need to tell us, but God begins to show us that he is at work. That perhaps our anger or resentment bit by bit begins to diminish. Or our narcissism little by little turns into self sacrifice. Or greed, dollar by dollar, is transformed in generosity and we begin to see the effects of God's presence in our lives. And that we should not, I don't think, mistake God's silence as God not speaking or that God is absent. Again, I'm not opposed to the idea that God speaks audibly, that God is speaking clearly. But don't necessarily mistake the fact that not hearing something clear or crisp or audible is a sign that God is not speaking. He is still present. He is still near. Does that kind of make sense? A couple of quick pitfalls, though, and I'll move on to the next P. Seeking kind of mountaintop experiences, I think we should just be careful of some of that. Kind of just these awesome, powerful moments that God is speaking, you know, the glory of heaven is shining, and it's like, you know, you're on the mountain or whatever. Like, that's fine to a certain degree. But there's a level of the routine, the regular, the, the everyday ins and outs, that the faithful kind of plodding along, that's where we often find, more often than not, The familiarity of God's voice. And the last sort of pitfall that I want to mention, I think this is really important, I'll mention it actually more towards the end as well, but seeking God's voice without scripture. That I think, especially in our our culture, can be one of the most dangerous things. Because that's really easy, to just import my own thoughts, desires, ambitions, into whatever might be coming in through my mind. One writer says this, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. And he might be kind of overstating that to a point, maybe not, but there is a reality, especially in a cultural moment like this, where we kind of have like this increasing level of like non-familiarity with the scripture, that it's become so important that we know the scriptures because that is where God has spoken to his people in the past and is still speaking to us today. Now, well, there are a couple pitfalls. The second P is simply just a plea. A plea with everyone here that we would believe deep within our, ourselves, within our, our bodies, that God does, in fact, speak. That God does, in fact, speak to his people. That is not something locked away in the past, but think about all these stories from creation to Adam and Eve to Abraham to Gideon to David to Solomon. Through our story here in 1 Samuel 3, that God is a God who speaks. And that, again, is not something to be locked away in the past, but something to be experienced now in the present, Jeremiah 33, three says this, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Or Jesus' words himself, John 8.47, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. John 10.3, Jesus again, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And last one real quickly, Revelation three verse twenty, which is often used as like an evangelism, I stand at the door and knock, But Jesus is talking to Christians in Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, pay attention, hears my voice. And again, this is not in the context of Jesus speaking to non-Christians. This is in the context of speaking to the church. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Implication that Jesus wants to and is speaking to us, his people. G. Campbell Morgan, a great preacher from a century ago, said this, wherever there are hearts waiting for the voice of God, that voice is to be heard. Wherever there are hearts waiting for the voice of God, that voice is to be heard. Which leads to the third P, posture. Posture. And I've already kind of alluded to this when we were going through the story. But again, think about the posture of Eli and Samuel. Eli was like in his own place, kind of almost this picture of doing his own thing. And Samuel was where? In the temple of the Lord, seeking the presence of God, seeking to be with God. And this reminds me so much of Jesus himself. Because all throughout the Gospels, you get this line, especially in John's Gospel, that describes Jesus. And Jesus will say things like, I only hear and do what the Father tells me to do. I only hear and do what the Father tells me to do. Translation? Jesus is the one who perfectly hears the voice of God. Which you might go, well, that's because he's Jesus. (laughs) That's not fair. But think about this, though. The Gospels are constantly emphasizing that Jesus is living his life. Yes, he's fully God, but he's living and doing the things he does as a man. As one who is dependent on the Father. The one that is leaning on the Holy Spirit. Seeking the guidance and the power of the Spirit in his life. And that Jesus primarily is not actually going to God saying, Okay, God, i got to connect with you. What are you saying? What are you doing? i got to hear your voice. No, no. The primary thing that Jesus is doing, he often is withdrawing to places to be with the Father. And he's speaking and seeking time with and in the presence of God. And that it's within that context of seeking to be with his father that that becomes the fertile soil for him to hear the voice of the father. And sometimes I think we get it backwards. We so want to hear God's voice, but we have not yet cultivated that habit of simply being with God, of seeking his presence, regardless if he says something or doesn't. And so we come to these crucial moment sometimes in our lives. God, speak! God, say something! But have we cultivated those routine daily habits? God, I want to just simply be with you. God, here I am. Think about those lines from the story in Samuel. Here I am. What would it look like for us to have that posture in this, in this season. Here I am. Speaking to the availability of Samuel. I'm here. And that anticipation. Anticipating God speaking. Expecting God to speak. Here I am. Not, you know, I'm kind of here but my phone's right beside me so I'm not really here kind of a thing. Or not, here I am, but I'm actually thinking about that meeting on Tuesday morning, so I'm not really, no, here I am. And that itself takes practice of being attentive to my feelings and my emotions and what's happening in my circumstances and how I can be present right now to the God who already is present to me. Which leads then to the last P I have is simply just practice. Again, Samuel had to grow and develop in this ability, if you will, to hear God's voice. And the same, I believe, applies for us. That this takes practice. That we're not going to get it. You're not going to leave this, you know, this gathering and go home tonight and just have this amazing experience by the campfire or whatever. And like, I hear God's voice so clearly now. You know, I heard one sermon about it. or That's not going to happen. But this will take practice, all of us, for, all, for every single one of us. And I think one of the key practices, i want to mention just a few to close here. The first key practice is simply scripture saturation and meditation. Saturating ourselves and meditating on God's word. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law or the teaching of the Lord. And on that teaching, he meditates day and night on the teaching of God, on the scriptures, on the instruction of God, the blessed man or woman delights and chews and savors like a, just a beautiful, fancy meat pot roast or whatever, just delighting and savoring everything about the scriptures. That God's words begin to filter and, and impact our imagination and our emotions and our feeling. And that becomes like just the reservoir of what leaks out of us is God's scriptures, is God's word. And without that practice, it becomes, I think, very dangerous to just go waltzing around saying, God's speaking to me, God, you know, there has to be a level of engagement with the scriptures. I mentioned at the very beginning, this book I read recently by Samuel Williamson, he writes this in that same book, Hearing God in Conversation. When we meet the person of God in scripture, then we finally have a voice we can recognize in the murky lanes of everyday life. When we meet the person of God in scripture, then we finally have a voice we can recognize in the murky alleys and lanes of our everyday life. That's the first sort of practice, scripture, having some level, you know, I've talked about scripture before phone, but all these sorts of things, embedding that into our lives. The second thing is just simply embracing everyday moments or embracing boredom. Think about like checking out at the grocery store. What's the first thing I do, right? looking at my phone, but what if that everyday moment, that moment of boredom that's like, what, 30 seconds to a minute maybe? Maybe longer if you're at a grocery store that's not Trader Joe's, that has long lines. (laughs) But what if those moments of like waiting in line, for example, at the grocery store or, you know, waiting to pick up your kids at school tomorrow, what if we embrace those moments as moments that perhaps God might want to speak to us? Right then. Right then. You know, it doesn't have to be on like a retreat up in the mountain somewhere or down by the beach. You know, sure, that can happen. But embracing boredom, embracing those everyday moments as moments that perhaps God might have something to say to you right then and there. What might God have to say to you about how you treat that person who is checking your groceries out? What might God have to say to you as your kid comes out of school? How might you greet him or her? What might God have to say in that moment? Another kind of similar thing along that with embracing boredom is also embracing our emotions. That perhaps those moments when we feel certain things, those might be pathways or, or, or like avenues into conversation with God. That instead of just kind of trying to, you know, block it or numb it or whatever the case might be, what if we embrace those moments as opportunities to speak and talk with God about it? And that these become. These, again, very simple yet practical ways of engaging God in conversation. And related to that, kind of the next practice is simply just asking God simple questions. I think sometimes we kind of have a topic like this about hearing God's voice. And it's like, okay, I'm going to like talk to God about like what I'm going to do in 10 years. Or some like really, you know, monster sort of thing. And that's, there's, a, there's a place for that for sure. But I'm thinking about like my own kids. Like we're uh, practicing like baseball with Kaysen who's four, almost five. And, like, if I just start, like, going for, like, the juggernaut, if you will, of, like, pitching at him, like, overhand and, like, throwing the ground ball really hard at him, like, the poor guy's going to, like, I mean, he has this really awesome helmet that, like, he will never take off. Like, it'll be at the kitchen. Like, so, he'd be fine physically. But he would just be so discouraged if you just kind of unleash everything I knew about baseball at him at one time. And I think there's a level, too, of this idea of, like, hearing God's voice. Just start simple ask simple questions of god god who do you want to who do you want me to pray for this morning and the person that comes to mind you don't need to have like a discernment meeting about it like there's nothing wrong with praying for someone right pray for that person and know that god is speaking to you in that moment god what do you want me to to learn from the scriptures today God, how might I encourage my spouse, my kids today? Or just very simply, God, what what are you saying? What do you delight in me today? And when you hear, because you, I believe you will, hear God say, I love you, know that that is God speaking to you. That God loves you. And that you don't need to like, discern, does God really love me or not? No, God does love you. and That God is saying that over you. Zephaniah 3, rejoicing over us in singing. And that this beautiful picture of just simply asking these simple questions of God are these ways of training us to developing this habit of just cultivating, God, what are you saying? What are you speaking in my life? And I think for many of us, myself included, this is, it's really hard to do this because I think oftentimes we expect it to be like this loud, boisterous, God is clearly speaking. This is truly God in this moment. And these like simple things like, maybe pray for this person or I love you. You've been saved by grace through faith. And that that, that message that you've heard a million times sinks deep within you and it becomes personal to you in that moment. And that we dismiss that and go, that's not loud enough. That's not boisterous enough. That's not flamboyant enough. And then we dismiss, ah, that's not really God at all. But think about our story, and I'll end with this. That I think that this is intentional on the part of God. That God is not just always going to speak in this loud, boisterous sort of way. That God actually loves the, quote, still, small voice. That God actually loves that gentle whisper. And think about Samuel. That God's voice, when he encountered it in in Samuel 3, was so normal and so gentle that he mistook it for his friend, his mentor Eli. And I wonder if that's the same for us. That perhaps we're looking for this extravagant, flamboyant voice from beaming from the heavens, but God's voice is actually pretty normal and pretty gentle. And that we don't necessarily need to be seeking this extravagant sort of loud boom from the heavens so to speak but in that normal everyday sort of way God is gently speaking God is gently encouraging us little by little you know I want to invite the worship team to come up and as we kind of transition a little bit here and just kind of really just bring ourselves to a place of just being available and open, I just think of that language in First Samuel 3 of here I am. I just want to give us just a moment, just an opportunity just to begin to just to really practice this. Like how can we just right now, God, what are you saying to me? Maybe if you need to, just close your eyes or You know, look up at the ceiling, whatever, you know, works for you. To just as best you can. No, it, it can be hard. I get it. But to just simply be present. Here I am. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just reveal more of yourself, your goodness, your greatness to us. God, I pray that you would would help us to be able to slow down. That we would, like Samuel, say, here I am. God, we know you're already present with us. God, we thank you for the gift of the scriptures, the gift of your spoken word. And God, amidst the craziness and the hecticness and the busyness of life, God, I pray for just the tenacity and the perseverance to fight for those moments where we can hear you. And that even in the midst of the chaos, God, that you would still break through and speak. God, that we would recognize, God, that you are pursuing us, that you are chasing us, that you are for us and not against us. And so I pray that for each of us here that we would, just as we leave this place today, little by little, know your gentle, loving voice a little bit more. That we would be open and anticipate the beauty of having a dynamic and life giving speaking relationship with you, God. And that for many of us, and myself especially, that you would give us the courage to take that risk. That risk of seeking your voice and listening. God, I pray for those of us who maybe have had a bad experience or something didn't go the way we hoped as it relates to hearing your voice. And I pray, God, that you, right now, God, that you would speak into that. You would help us to know in a a personal way God, that you are leading and guiding us through both the ups and the downs. So, Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for loving us despite our sin, our brokenness. And, God, for all of us in this place, I pray, God, again and again that we would turn from our sin and back to you, our Savior, and that we would recognize your forgiveness and your love again and again this morning. So Jesus, as we look to you, God, I pray that from the depths of our being that we would cry out. We long for you, God. We long for more of you. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name.